0: our lord and master we thank you for tonight as we come before your word we pray that your word will minister to your people tonight in jesus name amen well before we start our bible study uh, christians i believe we are all observing the passion week so i just want to read a scripture in commemoration of that So, go with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 to 16. So Pastor Robert um, started us off with the Passion Week by preaching uh, on the triumphant entry. He talked about we shouldn't miss the prophetic moment, and that's the lesson we can learn from that. I want us to look at today. Today is a Wednesday, and uh, this was what happened on a Wednesday. So Matthew chapter 26, verse 14 to 16. Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out on him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. It is believed by all accounts that this happened on a Wednesday. You see, so... If then when you read verse 17, verse 17 is the Thursday. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, that happened on a Thursday into Friday. But this was on a Wednesday. So the Wednesday of the Passion Week was when Judas decided he was going to betray our Lord, Master, and Savior, Jesus Christ. The thing that we can learn from this story is, You can be near. You can be privy to the works, the miracles, the acts, the demonstration of the Lord, our Master Jesus. Yet, you can be so far. So please, if you are near, be near. Don't be far. There are lessons that we can learn from the Passion Week. The Sunday, what are you jubilating about? Do you understand the prophetic moment about it? We shouldn't miss it. uh, Today is a Wednesday. We shouldn't be near. So we should allow church to really change us. To allow church to change us. In fact, this past week, I believe that the gospel world is reeling over the death of a gospel musician who died as a result of domestic abuse and domestic violence. And you know, people are shocked, like, oh, they thought he was a pastor, he was a pastor. Uh, but it means nothing. You you can be near, you can be very near. Judas was near, he was near the anointing, he was near the Holy Spirit, who is Jesus. He was near the works. He saw everything. He had he had a front seat view, yet he was very far. So let's really live a very yielded and a surrendered life because that is the result. He didn't live a yielded and a surrendered life. What's the point of coming to church Sunday, Wednesday, first Saturday of the month? Probably you might even make it to the work of ministry seminar. That's once a quarter. What's the point of coming for all these meetings? You are near, yet you are very far. Now, what does it mean you are far? Uh, it means that none of your actions, deeds, reflect the ideals, the principles of Jesus Christ. So, as we approach Christ, as we are drawing near, let us indeed be near. Amen. Alright. Now, let's move on to tonight's teaching. Last week, we spoke on redemption. Redemption. Uh, which is our theme for this month and we uh, for us to delve deep into the topic, we just decided to look at definitions to to flesh it out and unpack the meaning of the word the redemption. So we basically all that we did was just define the word and we looked at it from the merriam Webster stationary. And we looked at eleven different definitions. Number one to purchase back, number two to repurchase, number three to risk cover. Or rescue. Number four, to compensate or make amends. Number five, to free by making atonement. Number six, to pay the penalty of. Number seven, to save. Number eight, to perform what has been promised, to make good by performance. Number nine, in law, that is to recall an estate. Number ten, in theology, that's to deliver and rescue from the bondage of sin and the penalties of God's violated law. Number 11, that's also used in commerce, that is to purchase or to pay the value of a promissory note given by the state. So we came to realize that redemption is not a foreign word. Um, redemption is a word that even was before the foundation of the world. And we came to note that in Genesis chapter 3 and we learned about one of Jesus' titles in Revelation chapter 13 verse 8. that. It was the lamp of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. And what does that really mean? It meant that God had foreordained, forethoughts, before he created the world, a doctrine called redemption. So it wasn't because Adam sinned or or Adam and Eve sinned and then the Lord now, let me think of redemption. It was something that was foreordained, forethoughts, before the foundation of the world, amen. So redemption, actually the concept of redemption started in the Garden of Eden. And then we realized that um, God also had a people in mind who he was going to introduce this concept and they were called the children of Israel. And we, we realized last week that whatever happened was as a result of redemption. Then being delivered from the captivity of Pharaoh, that they wandered in the wilderness for a period that was 40 years until they came to a place of their own. The process that took place from coming out of Egypt was redemption. So God made that known. So, just as redemption is a very broad word, it was something too that was introduced to Israel who went on as the children of God. Amen. So today we really want to continue further on and talk about redemption. Amen. The the exact theme for today, I just want us to look at redemption through his blood. But before we understand that, I want us to go to Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 4, Leviticus chapter 4. Now when you read um, for you to understand this, you have to read the first seven chapters of Leviticus um, because the first seven chapters of Leviticus deals with offerings. That was where the concept of the offering came, came, came into place That was officially. Uh, institutionalized and when you read the bible you realize there are five different kinds of offerings um that's not my my emphasis otherwise I would have really broken down and explained them all what that really means in today's christianity there is the burnt offering there is the grain offering there is the peace offering there's the trespass offering and there's the sin offering You see, nothing is in the Bible by accident. Everything that has been written here, all these five kinds of offerings in Leviticus, it it has a parallel meaning to us in the New Covenant. And like I said, that is not the premium of my teaching, so I wouldn't want to go into it. But just to give an idea, the reason why I want us to read Leviticus chapter 4 is that it points to the redemptive ministry Of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. So Leviticus chapter 4, I read from verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord, in anything which ought not to be done, and does any of them, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, let him offer to the lord for his sin which he has seen a young bull with blemish now a young bull here is also a lamp let him bring for himself a lamp without blemish as a sin offering he shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the lord lay his hand on the bull's head kill the bull before the lord then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood, sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in the veil of the sanctuary, and the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the men's offering which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. He shall take it from all the fat of the bull as the sin of him, the fat that covers the angels, and all that stuff. All right? But what, is, what we shall basically do is that, that that blood will cover the sin. So if you read up to verse 35, it's basically talking about what the blood of that animal will do the blood of the animal is just there to cover sin it's just there to cover sin so that's a sin offering so what is a sin offering for a sin offering is for what in today our term will call sins of omission you know there are there are two kinds of sin there is the sin of commission there's the sin of omission. So, sin of formation has to do with something that you may have forgotten to do or unintentionally done it. You know. And 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 the Lord made provision for that. That when that happens, the offering that you will need to bring is called the sin offering. Now, when it talks about when you have sinned, it's called trespass offering. That's the commission of sin. Something that you know that you are supposed to do and you have broken the rule, broken the law, that is trespass offering. And when you read chapter 5, it talks about that, you know, it talks about the same thing. I wouldn't want to go in, in, into that. So when these five main offerings were institutionalized, I must admit today I was a bit confused. I didn't know whether I really want to do Leviticus, stay in Leviticus and talk about redemption, but if I did that, I won't even finish today. Quite honestly, because it's quite packed, and you really need to take your time and not rush it. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Maybe one day we, we we might we might tackle just seven chapters of Leviticus. But like like I said, when you look at the trespass offering, which has to do with breaking the commandments, transgressing breaking the rules, God also made into provision, sacrifice, by using the lamp. Amen. So all this, like I said, it was pointing to the redemptive nature of our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. So for us to understand this further, let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. So let's start from verse 1. So today we are looking at redemption through his blood. And for that to happen, there had to be a prophecy. The prophecy came in the form of God institutionalizing five main sacrifices. And the concept of that was it was pointing to the redemptive ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, who also came as a lamp. So today my our assignment is to look at chapters 9 and 10, which will help us to understand redemption through his blood. So I read, then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table stand, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the Holy of Holies, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which there was a golden pot with manna, Aaron's rod abided, and the tablets of the Covenant, and above it were the cherubims of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail." So. The author of the book of Hebrews is talking to us about the architectural structure of the tabernacle. You know, before there was a temple, the Israelites worshiped in what was called a tabernacle. That was basically made of a tent. And there are three types of it, but if you read this carefully, the author just spoke of two parts because the first part is outside. That's called the outer court, right? But in the building are two parts. So the, the writer took his time to talk about the inner courts, which has to do with where the lampstand, the table, and the showbread is, what that's called the sanctuary. That's where the priest and the high priest worship God. That's the, the, the main place where they worship God. You know, those days, going to church was a bit funny the only person that could enter into the sanctuary were only priests. You gotta be a priest, high priest, or a Levite. Nobody else could enter the sanctuary. You could die. So if you were not any of these, you were at the altar court. And at the altar court, there was the brazen lover. That's where the priests, they normally wash their hands. Uh, Pastor no, can you mute your, uh, your mic for me? Thank you. That was where the, 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 the priests will wash their hands. You know, that's where the Muslims adopted that term called ablution. They wash their hands up to their elbow. They wash their eyes, mouth. The face, legs, everything to present themselves holy, purification, and that was where they also killed the lamp. that was where they killed the lamp right so that was the place and that was the place where most of the people were so if you were not a Levite, if you were not a priest, not a high priest, you don't go there. You just stand at the altar court. The sanctuary is where the priests, the Levites, and the high priest worship God. That's the main thing. And then the author now goes on to say, Behind that veil is now the place called the Holy of Holies. And that place, it had a golden censer. It had the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant those days represented the presence of the Lord. Amen. So when you had the ark of the covenant, it was believed that you you had the presence of the Lord. Well, it's a symbol, okay. And then there was where there was uh, in the in the in the ark of the covenant they had Aaron's rod that budded, the tablets of the covenant, and then over it they had the cherubims of gold. You know, that that's where the priests normally prays, the the cherubims of gold, and and when God receives the sacrifice, the, the sign of a smoke or whatever will happen there. Because around the cherubim of gold is also where um, the mercy seat is. So the mercy seat is sort in the middle of the cherubim. The cherubims are angels, so they are angels watching over the mercy seat. I wish I, I, I had graphics to, to show you on that so that you you will see that very well. So that place, you go there only once. It's just once a year. It's just once a year. You go there only once a year. It's not a place of daily worship. You go there once a year. If you go there more than once, you could die. Amen. So that's where the day of atonement is normally held. And, and when that is held, it's a very solemn moment. You, you do all the rituals that you have to do. And then you go in there petitioning to God to forgive the sins of the people. And what was needed then was a lamp. So now the book of Hebrews now is going to tie the old and the new to let us know that they are very related and how they related. Let's read on. Verse 6. Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year. So self-explanatory, right? I have explained that. Not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people sins committed in ignorance. So since that are committed in ignorance, the offering that is needed is the sin offering. Okay, right? The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the Holy of Holies was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience, concerned only with foods and drinks and various washings and fleshly ordinances, imposed upon the time of reformation. So here, the scripture is telling us about the limitation of the earthly priesthood. It it had a limitation. And the limitation was, despite the washings, despite the rituals, one could not become perfect. It didn't take away the conscience of sin. It might have appeased the action of sin, but it doesn't take away the conscience of sin. So there was a limitation there. Even though it had so many rituals, it had a limitation there. And it was imposed until the time of Reformation. So Jesus Christ now coming into the picture was a period of Reformation. Jesus came to bring reforms to our style of worship. And one of the ways he brought reforms to our style of worship was he offered himself as the living sacrifice or the sacrificial lamp. That's why when John saw him in John chapter one, he said, behold, the lamp of God that takes away the sin of the world. What John was saying is that, look, reformation has come. And with this guy, he will put an end to the Old Testament style of Service and Worship. Let's read on. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and cows, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal Redemption. So this was what it meant that Christ has redeemed us through his blood. The Bible lets us know that he came as a high priest. Now, what was the job of a high priest? I believe that when we did um, the series on what is Jesus presently doing, we talked on three things that Jesus is presently doing. One, we spoke of him as a high priest. Uh, we spoke of him as Lord And we spoke of him as, um, why did the third one just jump out of me? Advocate. So Jesus Christ presently on this earth is our high priest, our advocate, and he is Lord. Hebrews chapter 8 has a loaded statement that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the majesty of the throne in the heavens. He is Lord and he exercises great power. Number two, he's our high priest. And if you do remember, when I spoke of Jesus being our high priest, I spoke of functions of being a high priest. One of them is to intercede. So, and we looked at what the role of a high priest was. His job was to intercede. That's why he always burns incense daily at the altar because that was his job. And, and, and when a, a high priest burns incense daily at the altar, it's, it's tantamount to praying or intercession. So a high priest's job was to intercede. We also realized that a high priest's job was also to bring gifts and sacrifices or offer gifts and sacrifices. And one of the sacrifices a high priest had to do was slaughter lambs. And the lamp was needed to appease or to atone for the sins of the people. And the third thing that we realize that the priest also did was to purify his house so that they would be clean for worship. And Jesus came to fulfill all that. So when Jesus Christ came as a high priest, he also came to sanctify us. That's why Jesus could say authoritatively in John chapter 15, You are clean because of the word I have spoken. That's the high priest function. Apart from that, Jesus also came to intercede. And what does it mean to intercede? Intercede simply means to stand in the middle between two parties. And in Jesus' case, who are the two parties? Man and God. And what's the job of an intercessor? intercessor, I'm sorry. The job of an intercessor is to act as a mediator, to bring reconciliation. So Jesus' job was to bring reconciliation between man and God by him standing in the middle. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Put your finger there and let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, verse 17, it says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, all things are passed away, all things are become new. Look at verse 18. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself. How did God reconcile us to himself? You see, now the reconciliation has taken place. It's a past tense now. So now when we are talking about reconciliation, reconciliation is not a future thing. It's a past tense. It's been done. How was it done? Look at it. Through Jesus Christ. And now that ministry of reconciliation has been passed along to us that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So how was Jesus able to reconcile the world back to God? He was able to do that by being an intercessor, which is the function of a high priest. And what does it mean to intercede? It means to mediate, to stand in the middle between two parties, mostly they might be feuding, and reconcile them. But in this case, God reconciled the world by not imputing trespasses. But he took the trespasses upon himself. Do you understand? So now, back to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. So, the tabernacle that Christ is a high priest of, it's not the tabernacle that was made of hands. If you read Exodus chapter 31, we realize that the tabernacle had stipulations that was, was given to Moses and then Moses passed it on to some people who helped build the tabernacle. Now, we are talking about the tabernacle. We are not talking about that tabernacle. Today, the tabernacle is us. We are the presence of, we, we are the presence of God. Because we carry the Holy Spirit. And where is Jesus the high priest? Over this body, which is also known as the tabernacle. So today when I'm talking about a tabernacle, don't think of a tent and don't think of the Ark of the Covenant. That's why Paul could say boldly in Acts chapter 17 to a church in Areopagus, that god has moved from the temples built by the hands of men and now lives in the temples of men that's why paul could see that he looked at them and he said that you are very superstitious you are very superstitious because when paul went there they were serving an unknown god and paul said you are superstitious god doesn't live here he doesn't dwell in this temple so under the new covenant god doesn't dwell in a temple anymore he has checked out. Why has he checked out? Because God has seen a fit to now dwell in the temples of men. Why? Because of redemption. Christ became that high priest. He went to the presence of the Lord with his blood and that blood was good enough to reconcile man and the world. That is good enough. And because of that, Now the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Lord, now sees fit to dwell in human vessels who have received Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. Do you understand? Give me an emoji and let me know if you understand. Only one, so the rest don't understand. Someone has a question. All right, let me break here. The raised hand asks your question. Pastor Lanello, you raise your hand, so ask your question. okay all right good so do we all understand please i want to know whether we all understand are we on the same page before i continue all of us okay so now jesus christ came as a high priest of the good things to come and the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and cows, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all. So the difference between Jesus, our high priest, and the earthly high priest was Jesus went into the holies once. They had to go every year. Jesus went only once. And when he went once, he ot- obtained eternal redemption. Eternal redemption. Sometimes people confuse this with once saved, forever saved. There is a difference between eternal redemption and eternal salvation, they are not the same. Eternal redemption means forever have we been delivered from sin. Forever have we been delivered from the captivity of the enemy. And forever we will not have to go back to the practice of bulls and goats to sacrifice to appease the wrath of God or to atone for our sins, because it has been taken care of. That is eternal redemption, but that is not eternal salvation. Because sometimes when people read this, they read into this thinking that, oh, eternal redemption means one safe, forever safe, which is not so true. It's not really true. Amen. Because this same Bible also has scripture, So sometimes you have to learn how to study the Bible very well. Look at words, particularly because the, the, the definition of a word can really affect how you really walk in this Christian faith. So we have eternal redemption. We have eternal redemption. Eternal redemption means we are not going back to the Old Testament of sacrificing with bulls and goats because the blood of Christ Jesus has taken care of that and as a result of that when you are a Christian you have been delivered from sin you have been delivered from the captivity of the enemy that is eternal redemption amen but in the old testament what the priests were doing was not eternal redemption it was temporary that's why they had to go yearly Amen. So, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a high fire sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So now, um, the author is doing a contrast between the blood of bulls and goats and that of Christ. And he's saying that even if that could offer some temporary relief, how much more the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ clears our conscience. That's what makes it more powerful. This one, it didn't clear the conscience of the people. It just purified the flesh. That means they qualify to stand in front of the Lord for a season because the the wrath of God had been appeased, but their conscience was not cleared. But Christ's blood is that efficacious. It didn't just take care of purifying the flesh. It also took care of dealing with the conscience of sin so that we don't walk with guilty conscience. Ladies and gentlemen, as we are celebrating this Passion Week, it's important for us to understand the significance of the blood. Because when we are able to understand the significance of the blood and understand the potency of the blood, you and I will live free. And when we are able to live free and live without condemnation, it is easy to receive the gift of righteousness and live holy towards God. Amen. So now, and for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first command, covenant. I'm sorry. That those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. What's the eternal inheritance? The promise of the eternal inheritance is the Holy Spirit. He lives with us forever. So when Christ, Christ's... Um, Death brought redemption. It also brought to us a promise that we have inherited. And that promise is the promise of the eternal inheritance. We are inheriting it. We have that inheritance. The Holy Spirit. Or as Colossians chapter 1 verse 27 says, Christ in us, the hope of glory. We have experienced that. The presence of God. Jesus died a shameful death so that we will inherit his spirit, which is the Holy Spirit. So Jesus' death is bigger than socioeconomic status. So now just reduce crisis um, significance of his death so that we can drive a new car, get a new house. It's not socioeconomic. It's bigger than that. And I'm not saying that if you come to Christ, are you not going to be blessed with materials? Of course, you will be blessed. Psalm 112, the Bible says that the person who fears the Lord shall be blessed. Wealth and riches shall be in his house. But that is not the main reason. It's fact, when you read the New Testament, the New Testament is very silent on prosperity, wealth and riches in association with salvation. The main reason... Is that Christ died, gave us redemption. We have been redeemed from our sins, redeemed from our transgressions, so that we can inherit the promise of eternal inheritance. It's the Holy Spirit. We've inherited him. And then most importantly, the Holy Spirit will help us to be more like Christ. So why do we need the Holy Spirit? We we don't just need the Holy Spirit for anything. We need the Holy Spirit so that we will fellowship with Him. And the end goal of it is that we will become more like Him. Because when we become more like Him, then we will be able to spend forever in the hereafter. Amen. 16. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator, So the reason why we have a New Testament is because the testator is dead, but he resurrected. His name is Christ. So Christ's death ushered in the end of the Old Covenant and brought in the New Testament. Because the Bible lets us know that for a testament to be in effect, one has to die. It's just like in this world. A will has no effect until the person who draws the will dies. And the person dies, then you can inherit. But as far as the person is alive, the will is not going to be enforced. And that's the same thing. The will that God had for us, new creation, is the New Testament. And within the New Testament is forgiveness, mercy, righteousness, redemption, justification, uh, every blessing, spiritual gifts, ministry gifts, all these things could not come into effect if Christ was still working on this earth. He had to die. He had to hang on the cross. And that's what Friday is about. And when he hanged on the cross, now it's possible for all this to be ushered in as a new era. So thank God for the death of Christ. Because with the death of Christ brought, with its accompanying effects, the New Testament, which is our new normal, or the new era we are in. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated with our blood. So... Um, the author is trying to make um, a statement that even for us to even experience what was called the Old Testament, it had to be done by blood. It had to be done by blood. And when you read the Deuteronomy, you will see that when Moses read the whole law and, and talked about the consequences of disobeying, sacrifice was made. And that initiated the error of the Old Testament. Amen. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law. So this scripture is in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 32, I believe. All the people according to the law. He took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the blood, both the book itself, I'm I'm sorry, he took the blood of cows and goats with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Uh, can someone fact-check Deuteronomy chapter 32 for me? If it's there, just put it in the column for me. I just want to be sure. because th- that, that was where the initiation of the Old Testament took place. It had to take place by blood. Therefore, when it also comes to initiating another covenant, it has to follow in that like vein. It also has to take place by blood. Amen. Then likewise, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So when it comes to redemption, the most important agency of redemption is blood. I believe as we re- 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 read the, f- the first 22 verses of Hebrews chapter 9, that's one of the things that we are coming to a conclusion. You can't talk about redemption without the most powerful or effective agency called blood. Blood has to be shed before you can talk on the grounds of redemption. And in this place, we who are Christians, we've become beneficiaries of redemption because of the blood of Jesus. Now, let's read on. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these, for Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself. so you see, if you do remember when we were doing the series on what is Jesus presently doing, I told you that The articles of the tabernacle, they were all copies of the true one. So you see, Jesus as the high priest, when he was presenting himself, he didn't have to go to the earthly. He went to heaven itself, where Moses had a vision of everything, and then he replicated it here on earth. Jesus went to heaven itself, where God is, and he presented himself as the high priest who has come to abridge the difference between man and God by reconciling the world back to him. Amen. For Christ has not entered the holy places with hands, which are copies of the truth, but into heaven itself, now to appoint, I'm sorry, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often, As the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another, he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, since at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So the Bible is letting us know the contrast between the high priest and Jesus our high priest. Oh my God, six minutes. Okay. Now, Jesus is making us know the difference between the high priest... Um, the, the author of Hebrews is letting us know the difference between the high priest and Jesus. The high priest will have to go to the holy place yearly for temporary relief, which is some sort of redemption. But Jesus' redemption, which is permanent, he had to do it just once. Because the Bible says that if he didn't do that he would have had to suffer more often. So that's how powerful the blood of Jesus is. Amen. And the Bible lets us know that he has appeared to put sin away by the sacrifice of himself. His sacrifice was a better sacrifice. And when that sacrifice took place, it took away the plague of sin. It took away the dominion of sin. It took away the hold of sin. And the beautiful thing is that it was done just once. Amen. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So the offer is letting us know that Christ has appeared once, on this earth and when he appeared once he came to take care of the sin issue by offering himself as the perfect sacrifice so that we will experience eternal redemption and thanks be to God that we are in the era of eternal redemption why are we in the, the era of eternal redemption because we don't have to go back to the traditional practices of animal sacrifices Christ's death was good enough. It was done once to take care of the sin issue. We are in the period of eternal redemption. And that was done because Christ laid down his life. And the writer is letting us know that if we should see Christ again, this time he is coming for salvation. That is why as believers, it's very important to make Christ known. Because when Christ is coming, he's not coming for any other thing but to now judge. And that's why we did the book of Revelation. Amen. Three minutes on the clock. I'll end it here. I'm so out of time. We didn't finish. I don't know whether I should skip chapter 10 next week. Or we should do chapter 10 anyway. What do you guys think? Maybe I should do chapter 10. That means I'm not going to finish redemption this month. Amen. Questions or contributions are welcome. But now I have a question. Okay. Um I didn't get the difference between um eternal redemption and eternal salvation. You did mention that eternal redemption means that we are free from the sacrifice in you know, like the blood and everything. But I didn't get, what 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 I, I, didn't, I didn't say there is anything called eternal salvation. I said that mostly when people read eternal redemption, they read into redemption as eternal salvation. That's a huge difference. We don't have anything like eternal salvation. We have eternal redemption. But sometimes people will normally say once say, forever save because they would like to quote Hebrews chapter 9 because we have eternal redemption. We have eternal redemption because Christ's death is good enough that we don't have to go back to the practices of animal sacrifices to appease for our sin. Eternal redemption because he did it once and for all times. But when it comes to Salvation. We don't have anything like eternal salvation. That's why even Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy that some will depart from the faith in the last days. It destroys the issue of eternal salvation. So we don't have anything called eternal salvation. So what I'm trying to say is that when we see the word eternal redemption, don't read into it thinking it means eternal salvation. Do you understand? Okay. All right. So there is no concept in Christianity called eternal salvation. We have salvation, that's the sense. But I don't have anything called eternal salvation. We have eternal redemption. Eternal redemption in the fact that we will not go back to the practices of animal sacrifices. This is good enough. It's taking care of sin, taking care of the sin conscious. That's why it's called eternal redemption. But the fact that it's called eternal redemption doesn't mean it's eternal salvation. That's why even the, 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 the uh, apostle says that, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, so it's not eternal. Amen. All right, it's eight o'clock. I'll just allow for one more question before we close. Who has any question? All right, if no question, can one person just tell me what they learned today? Just one person so that we'll close because it's 8 o'clock. Oh, it's a minute past 8. Can someone just make it snappy? One person. What did you learn? What did you take home? Just anything. Don't summarize because we don't have time. Just in one minute. What did you learn? I'm sorry, I I didn't hear you quite well. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Yes, I can hear you. Okay. um, I said you spoke about the high priest before, and it's something that I need to read about so that I can um, learn more about that. Okay. So what did you take home today? So, what one thing did you understand? I just want to know what you did understand. Because what you told me was an assignment. You need to read more about the high priest. So, what one thing did you get today? That Jesus died on the cross for us, for, for all of us to be able to live. Amen. Jesus died on the cross for, for our sins so that we can live. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Father, we thank you for what we've heard tonight. We pray that may the concept of revelation, the concept of redemption spark a revelation in our hearts, O oh Lord. Um and Father, even as we commemorate your death in the weekend, may it not be just anything that we will celebrate. But may we have deep meaning and deep significance to it, that it will change the way we worship you from now on. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all, guys. God bless you, and I'll see you next week. Good night.